Welcome to the WCAPS 5 podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. Vive. Vision. Impact. Voice. Engagement. So I'd like to welcome everyone to our next edition of our WCAPS podcast series, Vive. And I'm really happy to have with me one of our board members, Grace Choi, who is doing amazing work and has been doing amazing work in both the areas of international and domestic policy issues. Um, I had the very uh, great honor of meeting Grace Choi maybe a couple of years ago now. Um, and she could talk about some of the work that she was doing at the time that I met her. Um, and she's also one of our um, young ambassadors of the month from two years ago. Um, but she's done quite a bit uh, in her career already and is doing uh, some amazing work now. So uh, without further ado, uh, I guess I should introduce myself. I'm, I'm Bonnie Jenkins, uh, the executive director of WCAPS. And, I, uh, and one of the things I get to do is not only to meet a lot of amazing women of color and allies in our effort to diversify peace, security, conflict transformation, foreign policy spaces and national security issues, um, but also to do these podcasts and learn um, a lot about uh, these women. So Grace, um, it's great to have you here. Uh, maybe you could say just a little bit about who you are and, and we'll just start uh, just with maybe that preliminary uh, information. Sure, thanks so much, Ambassador. Um, hi everyone, I'm Grace Choi. I'm currently the Director of Policy in the New York City Mayor's Office. Um, I had the privilege of working with Ambassador Jenkins when we both served in the Obama administration at the State Department. Um, I was in the Global Women's Issues Office advocating for the rights and the advancement of rights for women and girls around the world. Uh, my background is also in um, not only gender equity issues, but in human rights issues and international development. And specifically, I've worked a lot on Korea, the Korean Peninsula. Um, that was where my graduate studies came from at the Fletcher School of International Studies at Tufts University. And uh, I've really done a little bit of everything within the intersection of policy and politics. So I had worked for President Obama in the 2020, 2012 re-election campaign, I guess, I'm, hoping that and wishing that he was running into 2020 again, but I'm glad we have term limits on the presidency. Um, and I had the pleasure of going back to my home state, Georgia, uh, this past cycle in 2018 for the midterm election and work for Stacey Abrams, who was running for governor and uh, would have been our first black woman governor in our nation's history. And I was her director for Asian American and Pacific Islander outreach. So that was, that's a little bit about myself. Wow, there's, there's a lot to unpack in just your, your short introduction about all the things that you've done. Because <laughs> um, I do want to talk about each one of these. But um, 
so tell us a little bit more about how you got what 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 created the interest in the work that you started to do after you graduated from your graduate program um what got me interested in going into the career trajectory that I yeah, what, got into after? Or, or maybe, or maybe what, what, what encouraged you to get involved in some of the issues that you work on today? What got you interested uh, in public service? What got you interested in, 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 the, in where you are now? Sure. I um, point. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes way before grad school, actually. Um, my mom is my biggest inspiration when it comes to public service, and so is my dad when it comes to public service. But specifically in politics and policy making, it's my mom who pushed me to do my first internship at the White House when I was uh, a college student at BC. Go Eagles! Um, and I, I come from a background of um, being a minister's kid. They also call it pastor's kid or a PK. Um, and I saw my parents really serve the community through our church. And I saw my mom be uh, a social worker, an interpreter for people who needed um, help in a court system. It was a Korean church, so a lot of folks are limited English proficient. I saw them visit hospices. I saw them um, help people in our church um, help their kids get enrolled into school, um, navigate just life in the U.S. Um, so we, you know, I grew up with just a lot of different people coming through our home. We had so many random uh, friends or extensions of family who aren't actually family, but we're all called them like uncle and aunt. And because um, our home was just kind of an open door policy where if you needed a place to stay, if you, um, wanted a tour of Georgia and see um, the aquarium or the Coca-Cola museum. My family was there to <laughs> kind of be your hospitality um, place of residence. And so that, I think just growing up in a household where um, being embedded in the community and giving back was how we grew up, that it was natural for me to go into a career in public service. And so that's really what led me to, um, you know, uh, work on the campaigns that I did, uh, get interested in policy issues. Um, and the spe specifically on the Korean Peninsula and North Korean rights issues, I, I got interested in college that led to my graduate studies at Fletcher focusing on East Asia policy as well as uh, forced migration and human rights because of my own personal story as a Korean American second generation immigrant. My grandma and grandfather on my dad's side grew up in what is now North Korea. And I remember just hearing stories when I was a kid from my grandfather of, um, uh, of how amazing Pyongyang was. It was actually the center of Christianity. There was a big church. He had vegetable and fruit gardens and he talked fondly about those memories and I remember then like fast forward and seeing in the news nuclear tests by North Korea and a dictator where he has oppressive um, efforts um, towards his people and there are concentration camps what they're called gulags um, replicated after the Stalin 
era of having gulags and enslaving people. And I realized I need to do something. This is part of my roots. This is, this makes me angry. And I know this is not just. And so that is what propelled me to seek a career in foreign policy and eventually led me to the intersection of policy and politics. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great, uh, a great uh, background uh, recall for everything that, um, especially hearing about your, um, what you learned early in your life about North Korea and how that shaped your thinking. Right yeah. Yours, where you want to head, and also the fact that you know the, the the public service that you come from. So that's really great. Yeah. What was it like growing up in uh, in Georgia? I actually was in Georgia. I was in Atlanta for the past four days and just returned on uh -huh. uh, Saturday night. So I, I had a very nice time with great food out there. Yeah, it, really good soul amazing, food. Yeah, there's an amazing vegan restaurant called Slutty Vegan. Uh-huh. And <laughs> what a was, name. Is, I uh -huh. know, and it, the line was, it took an hour and a half. To wow. Get, and it's not, there's no seating. You just order oh, it. It's all to uh, go. So I encourage anyone who's in Atlanta to check out Slutty <laughs> Vegan. You don't have to be a vegan. Yeah, the fact it tastes really good. If if you are a vegan, it's wonderful. So so what was it? So getting away from my slutty vegan story, what was it, <laughs> what was it like growing up in, in in Georgia? Yeah, I think um, my childhood really shaped me into who I have become and becoming to be. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Georgia in what is called Gwinnett County. Gwinnett County is currently the most populous and diverse county in the state of Georgia. Um, it's, it's really shifted a lot demographically, but when I was there in the early 90s, um, we, we lived in a neighborhood where we were one of the very few immigrant families as well as um, just Asian families in the community. And I think, you know, when folks see people who are different from them. There are different types of reactions. There are amazing neighbors and people in the community who welcomed us and brought us, you know, um, housewarming gifts and baked us cookies and just very, very great people in the neighborhood. But unfortunately, there are also folks who don't react so well to differences. Um, and so, um, my, my experience growing up in, in the suburban area in Georgia, a middle-class neighborhood, was really mixed. I mean, I, I spent my Sundays and Wednesdays and Friday nights at church, in the Korean church, and that was my community. But during the weekdays, during school hours, or on the way to school, on um, coming back home, I think some of that was challenging for me and my family. I can also hear that from my siblings' experiences as well. I just remember constantly being bullied from first grade to 12th grade because of the color of my skin. Um, and, you know, whether it was racial slurs or, you know, people saying, go back to your home country do you speak English? Are you mute? And just saying derogatory terms to throwing water bottles at me and my cousin because we look different from 
uh, the majority in our community. And I remember going to um, our high school vice principal and reporting the bullying and the racial slurs and taunts. And I was disappointed at the response because they said, well, we didn't see it, so we can't do anything, but we'll give them a warning. Um, and to me, that was just a very disempowering experience, seeing that, you know, an authority figure who I, I trusted would have my back didn't really have my back. Mm -hmm. um, a lot has changed, obviously, with like anti-bullying policies and programs in schools. But I think um, experiencing that, I mean, that was my entire childhood. It, I had great memories of great people, but it was also colored with just, just a you know, because of who I, who I am and what I look like, um, that I am a, a perpetual foreigner. I don't belong. I'm not American enough because I'm not white. And so um, I think that really affected my self-esteem. That affected what I thought I could do for myself, how I believed in myself. But again, my mother was a force to reckon with, and she still is. And I remember fondly this, this memory when I was in first grade um, coming home after getting taunted by a bully on the school bus and I cried. I was crying to my mom just explaining what happened and she said, take me to that, that kid's house. We're going to talk to them. So she pulled me over to um, go to that bully's home and my mom in her broken English, because she, she's, you know, first generation Korean immigrant, she told the the mom of the bully just because you came here a little earlier than we did doesn't mean you can treat us this way if you do this again i'm going to call the police and so seeing my mom who um was advocating for me my, in her broken english just like showed me that this is not a, a tolerable action i needed to do something about it and if my mom can do it in her broken english i can do it in my fluent english so you know it's, it's really taught me a lot about resiliency, strength, um, eventually coalition building across races and ethnicities and gender identities. And so that's really kind of a, a snapshot of my experience growing up in the South. And, and is it, um, are your parents still living in the area, in the same area? Uh, my dad is, but my mom lives in Korea. But I still have family um, in, in that neighborhood. Yeah. So you still have an opportunity to go back and visit. Yeah. And that was just there last year for the Stacey Abrams campaign. So I was there for five months. Okay. And so mm -hmm. I would, I would assume that uh, a young Korean uh, young girl or boy would have a different experience now in the, in, in the same spots or same places where you grew up. I don't know. I hope so. Um, I think it, it, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I can't say, I do know that, there's been an uptick of bullying and um, violence against immigrants and people of color um, since President Trump got elected and the reports have just, you know, it's spiked. Um, so I can't say, but I, yeah, I mean, things are getting better, but things have also gotten worse. So. Right. right. Yeah. I definitely get that. Um, so let's talk a little, let me ask a question that I often get asked when I'm on panels is, you know, you talked about some of the positions that you've had. What have been some of the um, 
say a little bit about your decisions for how you how you've moved from one of your positions to another and what was the reasons why you did it mm -hmm. um, a lot of young people like to understand how what the thinking is for yeah. that um, and sometimes for me it's hard to always go back and remember exactly why I did everything <laughs> right but, yeah. uh, but I know that that's a question that young people often want to know so I do want to give you an opportunity to kind of answer that question yeah um no thanks for the opportunity to reflect on that I think you just kind of shuffle around and don't really think about what happened to get you to where you're at um I think what really stuck with me was what I learned in college I went to a Jesuit Catholic school Boston College and I remember learning about the word vocation and vocation is a combination of um, what you're passionate about, what gets you fired up thinking about it, and then what your skill sets are. So the combination of your passions and your skill sets is your vocation, which is basically your calling in life. And so I, I have kind of live my life in that way, following what is my calling in life. And I know that, you know, my faith is really important to me. My faith drives a lot of my decisions in life, decision points in life. And um, as a Christian, um, I, I knew that, you know, when I learned about the North Korean human rights crisis and humanitarian crisis, it just broke my heart and I was so angry and so sad and frustrated and that didn't leave when I learned about it in college um and that fire in my belly kept me going to pursue what I did in my academic choices to get an um, undergraduate degree in international affairs get a minor in faith, peace, and justice to understand the intersection of social justice in foreign policy and foreign affairs, um, and then to eventually get a graduate degree in foreign affairs as well. Um, I still feel like my calling is to play a role in the Korean Peninsula one day. And I think what I found is people have very different paths of how they get to where they think they're supposed to go. Um, and I've just been very open to the process, mostly out of necessity, <laughs> more than choice. Um, so I, you know, went to DC. I'll tell a little story about how I, after graduate school, getting a master's, I moved from Boston and moved down to DC to look for a foreign policy job, like a lot of people do. And of course, there's a lot of talented people with all these degrees and you had to stand out somehow. And so I knew I wanted to work on North Korean rights issues. So I started interning at a North Korean rights nonprofit. Um, but I found it very, very difficult to break into the foreign policy space, especially the Korea policy space. And there was an opportunity that came up for me to uh, apply for the Obama campaign as a field organizer. And I got the job immediately. And I was disappointed, honestly, because I was like, I just finished getting a master's degree in foreign policy. I wanted to Korea. This is what my heart's desire is. Like, why am I getting this opportunity to work in domestic politics? This does not make sense. And I'm so grateful for my mom because she's 
the voice of reason many times in my life. And she's like, you're not making any money. You're doing an unpaid internship. You're sleeping on friends' couches. You should go work on this campaign. Get that experience. Get, you're going to get paid. You'll have housing. You're going to be working on a historic campaign to reelect President Obama. Just go and do it. And I'm so glad that I listened and I followed her advice because I found um, some of the best experiences in community ever just working on the Obama campaign in Virginia. And I learned while I was on the campaign and afterwards that actually who you elect into office really affects policy, both domestically and foreign policy. So you need to work on electing good leaders in order to have good policy. So you can't really separate the two worlds. And so um after you know that i i you know i went to internet the hill and internet a progressive organization eventually got a interview with um, the state department to be a political appointee for president obama's administration and then i had the opportunity to serve the administration for you know almost four years stay until the end of the term um and i remember being in the white house liaison's office talking to my boss at the time asking for an opportunity to go into policy work and um, he said why don't you go work in the global women's issues office and I was just like what do you mean I want to work on human rights issues and refugee issues like how does how does that make sense I don't understand how gender equity falls into like North Korea policy issues and so um so he's like you know they have some of the best leadership there's a great manager there, they have good culture. It's a great career opportunity you should go because gender is a very intersectional issue. And um, if you focus on a, a, on a country or a regional expertise, you, you might pigeonhole yourself. Mm. And this is the advice that I got from another person who was a political appointee um, and eventually became um, Secretary Kerry's deputy chief of staff. So shout out to Alan Fitz and also to um, Jennifer Park Stout who gave me this advice and I'm glad I listened because um, I got to work for some one of the best um, bosses ever ambassador Kathy Russell who was the second ambassador at large for global women's issues mm -hmm. and the kind of leadership she had as a compassionate leader but very strategic I didn't know I could have and that's how I fell into gender equity work and policy work but all that to say, I really followed the voice inside me, which is um, just following my heart and following like what God put in me and just trusting that God's going to provide the right opportunities. And so that's kind of been my, my kind of, you know, MO of how I operate and figure out what my next steps are. Because, you know, me working in New York City government, coming from a foreign policy background and doing politics to me didn't make a lot of sense, but now I see why it's so important, but it's just being open to the opportunities and finding peace in your heart about what decisions you make. If you feel like there's a lot of discomfort and chaos in your spirit when you're making a decision, perhaps that's not the best one to go for. But I found that when I made a decision point where I felt peace in my heart, it was the right decision and the best decision, even though I didn't really know what that would lead to and how it looked like. Yes, yeah, so that really does attest to taking chances. And, you know, sometimes it's very nerve-wracking to, to do something and you're not exactly sure what is going to happen on the other side. Um, 
but it's like you said, you know, I, I like to use the word, I used to tell you, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll figure it out. Um, when I'm not exactly sure of something, but I don't want to talk myself out of it because <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, and I just tell me, just, you'll figure it out. You know, you got here, so you'll figure it out. So thanks for, for kind of telling us a little bit about your journey there. Um, and I'm wondering now if you could say a little bit about the campaign for Stacey Abrams and a little bit about that experience um, for you. Because I remember when you, you, and you let me know that you were going to be joining that and how excited you were and, and committed you were about that and, and how committed you stayed throughout the process. And, and thanks again for the work that you did um, on her campaign. Um, so say a little bit about that and, and what that was like for you. Sure. Um, so it was an amazing experience. I never thought I was going to go back to my home state to be able to work for someone who inspired me in this, in a similar way that president Obama inspired me to get into politics. Um, and let alone for it to be a, a woman of color and a black woman running for the highest office in the state, you know, something that I was really excited about given what I mentioned before that it was really tough being the minority in Georgia and being told that you're not enough, that you don't belong, that you don't deserve to be here because you don't look like us. And then seeing Stacy, who's so unapologetically who she is and embraces her identity as a woman, as a black woman. Um, I felt like I had hope again in the way I did when President Obama ran for office. Um, and, and seeing how diverse the coalition of communities that she brought together and have been advocating for even before she ran for governor, when she was um, the minority leader in the Georgia State House, I, I felt like she really represented what Georgia is and can be and should be and what also our country can and should be. And so um, I was just so excited and had such a, yeah, it was just really amazing to go back home and to work for someone I never could have imagined as a young kid in Gwinnett County. Um, to have as, as a role model um, and, and to help build coalitions of immigrants and communities of color across the spectrum in Georgia. Um, yeah, so it's, for me, it was just a very surreal and amazing experience. I, I met some of the best people on the campaign. I'm still very much in close contact with them and we're good friends. And, yeah, Georgia still is, is my home. <laughs> I'm still a Southern gal at heart, even though I live in New York City now. Well, that is just fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm from New York, and now, you know, Virginia for New Yorkers is definitely South, and so it's not even as far South as Georgia, per se, but we're below the Mason-Dixon line here, so <laughs> it's considered <laughs> South on the other way around. Um, just a couple more questions, then uh, I'll let you go. So thanks for doing this. Could yeah. you say a little bit about, um, you know, what you're doing now and, 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 you know, how it fits into, you know, your trajectory and of your career and, yeah. and what are sure. some of the things 
you're learning from the job? Yeah. So I came into this role in January. So I'm going into my 11th month, which I can't even believe it's already been that long. It flew by. Um, I'm the director of policy on mental health, on gender equity and criminal justice reform for women. New York City serves and has 8.6 million residents and counting. Um, so it's a huge population that's very, very diverse. And um, I, I work on policy that my boss, the first city of New York City, um, created Thrive NYC and advocate for, um, you know, closing the treatment gap and destigmatizing mental health and thinking of innovative ways for mental health to um, be addressed in communities, especially communities that have so many barriers to entry when accessing the services. Um, I also work on legislation and the legislative priorities, both on the city council side, on the state assembly. Um, and I, in terms of my trajectory, I see that New York is probably one of the toughest places to live in New York, in, in, the, in the country, maybe in the world. I don't know if you agree with that, Bonnie. <laughs> but um, I think New York has a lot of soul, but it has a lot of grit. And if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere, like Alicia Keys and Jay-Z say in Empire State of Mind. <laughs> Um, so I really feel like if I can figure out how policy is done, how legislation is created in a, a city that's as big and the epicenter of cultural forces, of the financial markets, of um, the world being here, you know, we have the UN headquarters here, then I think I can take this and take it anywhere. So. I see this as a huge privilege to be able to serve and work um, for New York City residents. Great. Um, and yes, this definitely has a lot of, I like how you put that, it has a lot of grit and a lot of soul. Um, mm. Very, very much so. Um, but my New York friends will never forgive me if I don't, if I don't uh, say that the if you, can make, you can make, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere uh, as a Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. Um, oh. <laughs> which actually, okay. Light, yeah, actually, Light sang it first in the movie New York, New York. So she sang it oh. first. Oh, well, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. Not a lot of people saw the movie New York, New York, but it was actually pretty good with her and um, Robert De Niro. So if anybody, I'll check that out. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, one more question. I'll let you get back to your job in New York. <laughs> Thanks for doing this on your, I know it's your lunch hour, but still it's very nice of you to do this. No problem. Could you say a little bit to, uh, the young folks who are listening to your podcast about, um, lessons learned? I mean, uh, you know, anything that you would impart to them about, um, about your career, about what you've learned in, in, in your, as you're, as you're going through your career. Uh, even things you're thinking about now because you you know you still have you know work work to do ahead of you so um, you know any any just last thoughts that you would that you would um, yeah yeah sure um, I think a couple of things first be kind to everyone um, there's no reason you have to be a bully or be mean in order to get ahead 
you might see examples of that in your workplace or in in the news but you can be a compassionate and good leader um and secondly i would say create boundaries for yourself create boundaries in your personal life in your professional life if you need to take time off to take care of family issues or your own health um, i think that's a priority and um, i think what i've experienced and seen with people around me is that you make your career your number one and it consumes you and then you don't have any boundaries when it comes to um, getting going to the doctor's appointment um, going to the therapist uh, working out eating healthily um, i think if you want to sustain yourself and be an effective leader or an advocate you yourself have to learn to take care of yourself and learn to love yourself and from that you're able to best love and serve the people more effectively around you so i guess the first one is be kind and second one is create boundaries for yourself to be more effective in what you're trying to do great thank you grace i really appreciate it it's a it's it's such a pleasure to talk and um yeah hear about how you know your journey and particularly for those listening on the podcast to to hear about your journey um and and the things that you've done so i mean as, as a public servant to another public servant thanks for <laughs> Um, no. Thanks for serving in my city, New York. <laughs> yeah. I love having it's my pleasure. <laughs> holding the fort down over there and, and making yeah. sure things are going right. So, mm -hmm. um, so anyway, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, I want to just uh, ask all of our listeners to continue to listen to the great podcast that we have on uh, our, our website. Um, such amazing uh, people who have been working in the areas of peace, security, conflict, national security, uh, and foreign policy. So thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll talk next time. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things WCAPS, visit us at WCAPS.org or join us at an event in a city near you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WCAPSnet. Until next time. Speak up, speak out, get engaged.